Alright, I want you to notice verse 15 of First John chapter 2. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, if you wanted to put sin into categories, I think you could put probably put all sin in the three categories that are mentioned right here. There's the lust of the flesh. There's things that our flesh just naturally longs after that is forbidden by God. There is the lust of the eyes. There are things that look good and are appealing to our, to our sinful flesh. But then there's also the pride of life. There are things that just cause us to feel good about ourselves, make us feel superior or whatever. And the reality is, I think when it comes to sin, you can, it, it's all connected to really those three things, or you could put it in those categories. In fact, if we go back to the very first sin, it was all three of those things that caused Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. It says in Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, then she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. So right there, the, the three things that Satan used to tempt Eve are, are the three things that are mentioned here in 1 John 2. These are also the three things that Satan used to try to tempt Christ, and by the way, failed uh, in tempting Christ. He used the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He used all those things on Christ, but it didn't work on him. But before I get into the main subject of this sermon, I do want to talk for a little bit about the subject of pride. Because you could say that pride is probably connected to most sin that is out there, or at least one-third of sins out there. Pride is directly connected to that sin. Pride is something that we associate with the worst of the worst sinners. All right? If we wanted to pick the most evil wicked being of all time, who would we pick? Satan. But what does it say in, in uh, Isaiah fourteen twelve? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which should weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? So right there we see that Lucifer's problem, he got lifted up with pride. He said, I'm going to do all these things. He tried to elevate himself. But what happens to all the proud? God brings them down and he says, You're going to be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They're going to they're gonna narrowly look upon me and be like, this is the one? This is the guy that we blamed for all of our problems? He's nothing compared to God. God's going to bring him down one of these days. So the worst of worst beings, most evil of all evil, the devil had a problem with pride. If you wanted to pick the most wicked of all cities that has ever been, what city do you think you would pick for the most wicked city ever? Vegas, yeah, Vegas, but I think probably Sodom. Vegas is heading for Sodom. The fire and brimstone hasn't rained yet, but for sure, 
For sure, in the Bible, we see Sodom. And look what it says in Ezekiel 16, 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister, Sodom. And he's saying this to Jerusalem. He's referring to Sodom as her sister. You know why? Because they were being a lot like Sodom. And the first thing it mentions, pride. The first thing it mentions. So when we think of the most evil city, because, and you know what, you know what I've heard many people call Las Vegas? Sodom. I, I watched a program about it one time. And this guy, he's like, it's like a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. You always compare wicked cities with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we often, you know, San Francisco is another place people call it. You know, it's like modern day Sodom or Tel Aviv, modern day Sodom. Whenever you think about the most filthy, disgusting, degenerate cities, you think of Sodom. And what was their problem? One of their main problems? Pride. When you think of the most filthy, disgusting, degenerate pieces of human debris on the planet today, what group do you think about? Sodomites, the LGBT, and what is their motto? Pride. What do they call their flag? The pride flag. Or as we like to call it, the fag flag. That, you know, and, and so think about Pride is so wicked. And, and you aren't. If you, if, when you get the most filthy, degenerate, low-life, scummy, just piles of garbage on the planet, they're going to have a pride problem. Without a doubt, it is a major sin. When it comes to pride, we know it will always come back to haunt the proud. And, that, and we're comforted by that. Okay? We are comforted, and people might have a problem with this, but I am comforted by the fact that these child-molesting groomers are going to go to hell. I'm comforted by that. I'm, I'm glad that they will meet a horrible, destructive end and will face their Creator one of these days. I'm thankful for that. And you might think that's a really bad attitude, but I don't know. I read these promises in the Bible and they make me feel good when I see them. I'm, and I'm glad God keeps His promises. I'm glad they're going to get what's coming to them. Proverbs 11 two says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. So these people waving around their pride flag, they will have shame one of these days. In fact, they shame themselves now just with the filthy, degenerate stuff. But they're, because they're given over to that reprobate mind, they're too foolish to be ashamed. But when they stand before a Creator one of these days and they give an account for these vile things that they've done, I, thankfully, I'll never know what they will feel. I will, I will never know that. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So when somebody is marching around with their pride flag, that person is marching for destruction. And that is a Bible promise. And I'm thankful for it. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So we cannot emphasize the dangers and wickedness of pride enough. God hates pride. God even hates a proud look. That's why politicians, man... Okay, they, 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 they've got pride issues. And it, it is, it's overwhelming to think of just how many different sins are all connected with pride. But here's what everybody needs to get a hold of to get a hold of what I want to cover as far as the main subject of this message. This message is not completely about pride. While we have talked a lot about, you know, we, about just how bad pride is, there is not one of us in here that does not struggle with the sin of pride. Let's just all get a hold of that right now. Often, because there are certain sins we associate with the reprobates and the sodomites and things like that, 
We sometimes think we're immune from some things and exempt from some things. But at the end of the day, pride is connected to almost everything. And all of us are... Listen, I hope that you know pride is something that everybody, including saved people, deals with. Otherwise, I'm not saved. Because pride is something that is a temptation for everyone. It's something that we all have to work on. We all have to get over. Pride is... A real struggle. There's not one of us that is immune from pride. There's not one of us that isn't immune from the destruction that comes from pride, from being humbled by God because of pride. Not one of us in here is exempt from that. So just because you're saved does not mean you cannot be ruined by pride. Just because I am saved, just because I've got the right gospel and I've got good doctrine doesn't mean that if I don't get lifted up with pride, God can't shame me and just end my ministry and ruin my reputation. Without a doubt, if I get lifted up with pride, that for sure can happen. And so this is where I want to go with this message, though, because something I have noticed that is very common in our modern society and our culture where we have psychiatrists and psychologists giving everyone a diagnosis, creating new disabilities for everybody. You know, they're, they're always coming up with fancy labels and diagnosis for people. And then we'll like attach a label to them like they have a disease. When in reality, these people are just committing sin. It's actually a sin problem. That's what's really going on. Okay. Now I'm not saying there's no such thing as people that have like legitimate disorders and things like that. But at the end of the day, a lot of stuff people are bringing up is it's just called sin. Okay? It's called sin. And so in our modern psychological world, everybody's wanting to attach a label on these people. Oh, they've got, you know, narcissism is the big one. Nar- I mean, I don't even remember hearing that word used that often 10 or 20 years ago, but now it's used all the time. And I've got some theories on that I'll, I'll, I'll probably get into. But, but either way, it's just like, okay, but is it because that they have a mental disorder and that's why they're a narcissist? Or... Is it because they are a sinner and they are getting lifted up with pride? Is that why they're being narcissistic? I think, personally, it's just a sin problem. And the problem with creating a label is often we put these labels on people like they can't be helped. And so then you have some woman, she watches a YouTube video of some lady and is like, is your husband a narcissist? Well, the thing is, and, and then, you know, and then, Women will see this like, oh man, my husband displayed narcissistic, you know, whatever. But it's just like, um, I think the problem is your husband is a sinner and sometimes sinners sin. And as a result, they display. And again, and narcissism, all the things associated with that, it's just pride. That's what it is. That's what the Bible calls pride. And nobody is immune from pride. But what's happening, people are listening to these psychologists and then women are just writing off their husbands because he's a narcissist because he has the symptoms of narcissism. No, he's got the symptoms of pride, which is a result of being a sinner. And we've all got that. I'm not justifying the, I'm not justifying the narcissism. I'm not justifying the pride, but I'm just saying we would all do, it would help all of us as Christians if we would realize we are capable of some pretty bad sins that have some pretty devastating results. But if you're a Christian, you know what you also have? You have the ability to overcome those things through Jesus Christ. Now, psychologists and psychiatrists, they don't factor in the Holy Spirit. 
They don't factor in Jesus Christ, but we do here at this church. And so if we would understand we don't have a mental disorder, we've just got a sin problem, I think it will help us come a long way in getting over some of these things. You know, in our world, we don't necessarily probably talk about the narcissism and all these psychological terms, but, you know, we've got a term. We're always diagnosing people with severe reprobation and things like that. And it's just like, okay, and listen, I believe in reprobates. Okay, I believe in reprobates. But in Romans 1, we'll see this person that's given over to a reprobate mind and it gives all these things that he's doing. And then they're like, but here's the thing about most of those sins that we see in there. Everybody struggles with some of those things. And there's a difference between people struggling with some of those things and somebody who is filled with all unrighteousness. But then it's like somebody will see somebody do one of those things. I mean, I think that person might be a reprobate. Wait, it, hang on. So you think that person's a reprobate because they, you know, they debated somebody and it says full of debate. You know, you, you saw that woman whispering and gossiping and it says whispers. And so now you're just going to declare a reprobate. I think that a lot of those sins, Christians save people are capable of committing. And if we see a Christian or if we see anybody commit one of those sins, it's not time to slap a reprobate label on them. You know, it's time for them to just confess that sin and to forsake that sin. Any of us can do that. There is not, there, listen, there's not one of us in here, male and female, that is not capable of getting caught up in gossip and being a whisperer and a backbiter. And things like that. That's an easy thing to get caught up into. And a lot of people do. But because we, we're just like obsessed with reprobates. You know, we're, we're always just looking. And then as soon as somebody commits one of these sins that's listed in Romans 1, we want to find a way to put, stamp a reprobate label on them. And it's just, it's not right. It's not necessary. And it's not, it's, it's not productive. It's not helpful. And so, the, uh, so we do. We see somebody commit a sin that's associated with the diagnosis, it causes us to put a stamp label on them in a way that's probably not completely fair and we write people off when we shouldn't. And I do. I think the narcissist one is a big one. That I, I see this happening a lot. Okay, And, and uh, I want to read this to you. from This is what Mayo Clinic says about narcissistic personality disorder. Okay, That sounds, that sounds like I need medication for that. You know? It sounds like, can, can you get disability for that? It's funny, and I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but a lot of people are always accusing pastors of having narcissistic personality disorder. And then there's those out there saying how the pastorate, there's something broken about the IFB and the pastor because it's always, you know, it, it, it uh, encourages, or gra narcissists gravitate towards it. It's like, no, it doesn't. No. Being a pastor does not cause narcissists to want to gravitate towards it. It creates them. And it goes to that sermon I preached the other night. There's certain challenges that pastors deal with that it is very easy to respond in sinful ways. And it, pride is something that pastors are going to struggle with. It, it is. It's a real challenge. I don't think it necessarily attracts people who struggle with pride. But I think just the situation that we get put in, some of the challenges and things that we have to do, it does. It, it's something that any of us. Or we're going to struggle with pride. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but it's like, no, I think it creates it. Because stressful, difficult challenges often create a sinful response. And it's not that we're narcissists. It's just that we're sinful. 
And sometimes we let our pride get the better of us. And when our pride gets the better of us, typically, you know what we're going to do? We're going to display narcissistic tendencies. But it's not a mental disorder. It's not a disease. I shouldn't get disability. I wonder if I could get, if, if I could prove church drives people to narcissism and that's a disability when I start getting disability now because what y'all did to me, I don't, you know, I don't know. But anyway, I, I doubt that'll work. I doubt that'll work for me. But basically, this disorder, it's a mental health condition in which people have an unreasonably high sense of their own importance. They need and seek too much attention and want people to admire them. Why would a pastor want that? Well, because, you know, pastors have the responsibility of making sure the ministry goes forward, the bills are paid and all that, and it kind of helps if people want to keep coming to church. So and it kind of helps if people will listen to the stuff that you preach. You also, as a pastor, you don't want to have a church full of just, you know, nut job, wicked sinners and all that. And so it would help if people listen to the stuff we preached. And sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't get through to these people, so we try to help the Holy Spirit out and, you know, probably cross some lines. So it's just, it's a temptation. It's a sinful temptation. It's not a disorder. Okay? It's just... Sinful, it's, it's sinful temptation is all it is. But people with this disorder may lack the ability to understand or care about the feelings of others. The Bible just calls this pride. That's all it is. It's being self-centered. All of us are capable of that. So, and what's funny about the narcissistic, this isn't even close to the original definition, which is actually pretty perverted. But um, I'm not going to talk about that. But the more modern term, it's, it's been around for a while, but it's been used a lot in the last 10 or 20 years. And I personally think the reason narcissism is so common today, I think because of social media. Social media has created, I do, I think the platform of a pastor sometimes creates a prideful situation. I'm going to show you Bible on this here in a little bit too. But now everyone has that. So guess what? We're all narcissists now. You know, we, we're all, and what it is, we're all struggling with pride. These new tools that are available, they are, it's just like an atomic bomb has made man capable of so much more murder, even though man's just as evil, you know, but we have new tools that can enhance that. Social media has enhanced pride that we all have, and it's caused a lot of problems. But the term narcissism, it comes from the Roman poet Ovid Metamorphosis, written in the year 8 CE, uh, or AD. Book 3 of the poem tells a mythical story of a handsome young man, Narcissus, who spurns the advances of many potential lovers when Narcissus rejects the nymph Echo, who is cursed only to echo sounds that others made. The gods punish Narcissus by making him fall in love with his own reflection in a pool of water. When Narcissus discovers that the object of his love cannot love him back, he slowly pines away and dies. And I just think that's interesting. He falls in love with his own reflection. He falls in love with himself. You know, back in the year AAD, it was probably a lot harder to see yourself. You know, mirrors probably weren't real common. You know, he sees himself in reflection of water. But now, we see ourselves all the time. And you know how many, too, you know, a lot of guys get frustrated by this, too, because it's like, you know, every guy wants a pretty girl, but it's like, you know, the, the, a lot of the pretty girls, like the, they're all turning into these Instagram girls. And you know what they all have in common? They don't seem like they even want to get married. You know why? Because they have fallen in love with themselves. And it is a very empty life. I mean, folks, I believe social media has, in fact, just helped enhance 
this narcissistic thing in a big way. And in reality, it's just a pride thing. But these tools have, en- have enabled us to destroy ourselves with pride in a big way. And I think that's why it's so, so common. But again, it's not a mental disorder. It's not a disease that we're all catching. It's a sin problem. It's just a sin problem is what it is. And it's one that saved people are capable of falling into. It's one that saved people are capable of being destroyed by. But we like these labels because the labels, it helps us make sense of everything around us. And we want to understand people's behavior. And so it does. It just makes it easy. Oh, yeah, you know, my husband's a narcissist. Oh, yeah, this person's just a reprobate. You know, it, it, it makes it easier for us. But the reality is, it's, just, it's not that simple. I think it's wrong. I don't think it helps when we just stamp the label on somebody trying to declare someone a narcissist or, or even not a narcissist. Because if you're like, well, you know what? I went to a psychiatrist and they told me I am not a narcissist. Okay, but you're still a sinner and you can still struggle with pride and turn into one pride can still get you you can get lifted up with pride because you're not a narcissist you know because you you passed the test whatever they did but it's it's just it's a sin problem it would be like you know we shouldn't become careless about sin just because we've never committed certain sins we should realize no i'm always susceptible to some of these sins and pride for sure is something that will always be a danger to us as long as we are in these vile bodies. Pride will always be a danger for all of us. And so, narcissism is a big thing, but it's because it's connected with pride. And so, you know, women, don't act like you have to divorce your husband because you've declared him a narcissist through your research from watching YouTube videos. Okay? Please, please do not do that. Okay? Maybe he's just sinning. And maybe, maybe you are sinning, which often causes other people to sin. Do you, you realize most, most of us naturally respond to sin with more sin? And so sometimes the sins that people around us are doing because we are sinning. It's not all the time. But either way, we're all going to be a lot better off when we just recognize this is just a sin problem. This isn't a mental disorder. This isn't something we can put a diagnosis on. It's a sin problem. And so as Christians, when we see really bad behavior, it's, it's easier for us to say, well, they're just not saved. They're just reprobates. This settles our mind. It helps us make sense of things that we just don't understand. When, when Christians do things that we just don't understand, when things happen in church and there's falling outs and splits and all these different things, we do. We want to just put a label on somebody. But you know what? The reality is, Everybody involved in these situations might be 100% saved, but when we sin, there's consequences as a result of that sin. And I'm telling you, pride is able to do so much damage in any life. It can kill a good marriage. It can kill family units. It kills friendships. Pride is dangerous. And when we do, when we try to just settle things in our mind by declaring somebody unsaved or reprobates, it actually can be dangerous because if we do, if we have a problem in the church and then we do, we just declare, all right, well, you know what? Obviously, this person just wasn't saved and we get rid of them and all that. And I'm, you know, sometimes there's time to get rid of people. But if we do, in our minds, we tell ourselves they just weren't saved or they were a reprobate. Well, the danger with that is we will think because we are saved and we're not reprobates that we don't have to worry about committing that same sin. But the reality is, no, they were probably saved. They just sinned. And we are capable of committing that same sin. 
And when we realize things are a sin problem, I, I, it's going to help a lot. And I, I want us to look at some examples of some things in the Bible. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, notice what it says here in verse 20. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. So every one of the, every one of these things that he mentions is in the heart of all of us. You know why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It will do all of us a lot of good to realize every one of the things that he mentioned in there, even if you've never been a thief, even if you've never stolen anything, even if you've never fornicated or something, it is within your heart. There's a reason man does these things. There's a reason every culture struggles with these sins. It's because we are all made out of the same flesh. We all have these things within our heart, within our, within our flesh. And when we do these things, they, of course, they defile us. They cause problems. They cause hardships in our life. And Paul said in Romans 7.18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And so when people sin, it's not as simple as them just having disorder. It's not as simple as them just not being saved. Or them being a reprobate or something like that. Everyone has a sin problem and some people just give into the flesh more than others. But every time you see major sin go on, I'm telling you, it is dangerous when we just try to put people in a category. It's bad for us. It's, it's bad for you as an individual. Every time you put somebody in a category, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not in that category. And you're missing the point that, you know, you could probably fall into that same thing. And that is a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And, you know, and we do. There are, there are sins we're all scared of doing because we understand, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to murder anybody. But you know what? There's times people murder people and I can understand why they murdered somebody. You know, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with it. It was wrong. I know a pastor that, uh, you know, he went and uh, his wife was cheating on him and he went and found the guy and shot him. I personally don't think that's the way to handle it. I not super mad, but at saying at the guy, but it, that's wrong. I don't want to do that, but I could see how something like that could come from my heart too. And so I'm not going to look at, you know, so it would, when I see some sins, okay. So for example, all right, has any husbands in here, have you ever like gotten chewed out by your wife because of some other man's sin? Or is, is, am I the only one that ever happens to? Where it's like, my wife will hear about something terrible that some other guy did and she'll smack me or something. And it's just like, I didn't do it. I mean, there have been many times my wife has just gotten furious at me because of what somebody else has done. You know, and I, I've told the story about the one missionary that came through that had that young lady. And, you know, later he killed his wife and all that. I got in so much trouble after that guy brought that young lady to church. I didn't do it. My wife saw him wink at her. I got chewed out for that. And, you, and again, anybody else wives do that kind of thing? Or is that just my wife? My wife just weird. Okay, now, here, here's what's going on. Okay, my wife just understands 
that, you know, I'm sinful too. And so whenever women, they, whenever they hear about another guy doing something, it scares them that that might happen with their husband because they, you know what? They know you're not a saint. They, they know you're not, they know you're not perfect either. And so what the thing is, it's easy for us. We would all find comfort if we, you know, and obviously I think our wives would know better, but I could say, well, you don't understand that guy wasn't saved and I'm saved. So you don't have anything to worry about. That, that's what we want to do to comfort ourselves. You know, that would never happen. In fact, one of the things I'm noticing too, I don't want to get sidetracked here. Whenever we ask people if you could ever lose your salvation, you know what I've picked up on a few times? A lot of people who say they could never lose, they don't believe they could ever lose their salvation, think I never would lose my salvation. I'm finding out when you talk to some people, that's what they think by that. Is they're thinking, no, I would never do any of the sins to cause me to lose my salvation. That is a terrible, first off, that's theologically wrong. Okay? And that too, that shows a great deal of pride when people think that way. But I, I, in fact, I, I recently had somebody, at first they answered it right, but the way they said it, and then I, I, I kind of asked them clarifying questions. I was like, no, these people don't think they would ever commit a sin bad enough to cause them. Even though, but even though they think it's possible, they think, so they think some people could lose their salvation, but they would never lose their salvation. So I almost think we need to like ask the question, do you believe that anyone could, you know, who is saved could ever lose their salvation? Because if you ask these people, do you think you lose salvation? Absolutely not. I'm going to endure to the end. That's what they think. I've, I've had that more than once recently. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure I clarify that question a little bit better. So I, I, you know, I, I can really find out what these people's hearts are. But that is, that is dangerous when we try to comfort ourselves by putting a label on somebody because then we think we're protected. We are not protected from these things. We are not exempt from these things. It's in the heart of all of us. We need to always remember when we see people sinning that it could be us. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Wherefore let him that standeth, or thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. So understand, when we put these labels on people, if we go with modern psychology, well, if you've got the label, you can't help it. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, take heed lest ye fall. This could be you, but the Bible also teaches it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be you. God will make a way to escape. You don't have to commit these sins. So what we just see there in 1 Corinthians 10 is completely opposite of what the world's teaching. And we need to understand we're capable, but we don't have to. And so all these psychological terms, it's like they're security blankets. That when we see people sin in our minds, we want to tell ourselves we are protected and those people must just have a disorder. They got a lack of salvation disorder. They got a reprobate mind disorder. But listen, you know, you know, in our attitude, look at us. We clearly don't have the disorder. We're safe. No, you're not. Listen, just like you can't separate pride from narcissism, you can't separate pride from your flesh. You, you can't do it. It's a struggle. If you want to look at a group that struggles with narcissism too, more than anybody, again, the pastors. Pastors struggle with it. And you know what? It's always been 
a hazard with a job. That's why in the qualifications of a bishop, in 1 Timothy 3, what does it say? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And I'm telling you, I have seen this many times where people are dealing with messes in their churches with pastors displaying wicked behavior. And then everybody's like, he must be must not be saved. He must be a false prophet. He must be a narcissist. He must have this. Everybody, everybody's trying to figure out a way to figure out what's going on. Here's the problem. Maybe he was just a novice. Maybe he got lifted up with pride. And here's the thing. Even if somebody's not a novice, do you think that not a novice means you're still exempt from pride? No, I think any pastor, I don't care how qualified he is, could still be lifted up with pride. I think it's more likely to happen to a novice. Typically, the ones who blow up the most and do the weirdest, craziest things are guys who were clearly novices. And I've seen many examples of that in my life where people, they were put into the ministry way too soon. They were way underprepared and they crashed and burned and it's always pride. It's always, I mean, pride kills more pastors than anything. And that's why we were warned. Not a novice. Hey, this is, this is a tough job. This is a dangerous job. This is why there's certain jobs you don't want to give a cop or something like that. You know, you don't want to give a guy who's got a major temper and major, all these, you know, major, you know, mental issues and things, a gun. He can do too much. If you give him a gun and a badge, that's too much power for some people to handle. And so, you know, you, and so the same thing too, a pastor, there is, there's certain authority and, and potential for harm that can be done there. And you don't just want to hand it to anybody, not a novice, because there, with, with the challenges and the battles that come with pastoring, it is very easy to sin. And sometimes you got people that are trying to figure out what's going on in their churches and they're thinking you must not be safe. No, maybe it's, it's probably just a sin problem. He is displaying pride in this situation. And here's a, here's a kicker too. Okay, There's a good chance that when a pastor is struggling with pride, he's responding to sin from the congregation with more sin. You know how easy that is to do? That's real easy. And so what often happens is you'll have a sinful congregation sinning against the pastor. The pastor sins back and then everybody thinks, well, look at what this pastor did. And it was wrong. Listen, you never help the situation by adding more sin. You just escalate it. And obviously if somebody's in leadership, they have a greater responsibility. But sometimes you will, you will have the pastor displaying sinful behavior because of pride. It was a tough situation. It was a challenging situation. But then the congregation, they're not recognizing any of the sin that they're doing. And it's like, hey, you know, everybody's at fault here. Sometimes it's not a matter of one person's unsaved, wolf, heretic, reprobate. Sometimes it is, you know, and the pastor, he feels like everybody in the church are all, all my church is reprobates. All my church are unsaved. You know, but it's like, no, you know what you have? You got sin. Every one of these things, it's all connected with pride. Boy, if there was some way to just remove pride from all of us, it would, it would remove a lot of problems in our life. It really would. But I just say all this to just say that pride is a danger for all. We've got to recognize it's a danger and people aren't even factoring this in and they're getting distracted with all these labels and things and just trying to stamp on somebody. It's like, no, this is just a sin problem. And here's the great thing. Because this is a sin problem and if you're saved and you have the Holy Spirit, you can't overcome this. 
We can repent of these things. We can get right with God. We can humble ourselves. We can humble... Folks, and two, if God hasn't humbled you yet, that means you can... You're still, you still have time to humble yourself. Humbling yourself stinks. But it's not near as bad as God humbling you. God humbling you is the worst. It, it really is. It's better to just humble yourself. And so, I do not believe the role of pastor attracts narcissists. I think it creates them. And I think it's because it, it, pastoring can be stressful and often pastors fight in the flesh. And when, he, when a pastor fights in the flesh, he's going to sin every time. And pride will be one of the most notable things that are displayed. Not because he has a disorder, but because he has, he has sinned. He has flesh. A pastor has flesh just like every, everyone else. And there are people who are just truly wicked. But that, that wickedness will manifest itself in sin every time. Psalm 10.1 says, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in time of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. So if you have a just truly wicked, vile, bona fide, unsafe reprobate, you know how... You know what's going to manifest from his life? Sin. Pride. But at the same time, I've already proven to you, saved people are not exempt from sin. Saved people are not exempt from pride. But what do we do? Oh, look! They have some of the symptoms of the wicked. Therefore, they must not be saved. No! They're sinning right now. And this is where we need to be praying for each other. This is where, the, whenever people are sinning, we've got to do everything we can to not respond to sin with more sin. But again, it's just, it is. It's a security blanket to just slap an unsaved label on them. To slap a reprobate label. But it is not productive. And it puts yourself in danger. Every time you do that kind of thing in your mind, you are, you're, you're letting your guard down a little more. And we always have got to keep our guard up. Pride is so dangerous. A person who most would consider a decent person, when they sin, okay, let's say, you know, we've got Joe here that's a Christian, and we got Bill here that's a reprobate. Did you know that when Joe sins, it's a sin just like when Bill the reprobate sins? Sin is sin. It's painful when Bill does it. It's painful when Joe does it. Either way, sin is sin. And, and, but again, a lot of times we see that sin, we just want to put, it, put a label on them thinking I'm safe from it. No, you are capable of sin yourself. You are capable of doing a great deal of damage. I am capable of going and just ruining everything I've tried to build in my family. I am capable of going and ruining everything I've tried to build in this church. How? Through sin. If I go and commit certain sins... It, it could ruin everything. It could, I, I could destroy a lifetime trying to build a, uh, a testimony. I could destroy it in one day. Through what? Through sin. Not because I have a disorder. Not because I have some kind of disease or sickness or something like that. Because I chose to give in to the flesh and defile myself with what came from my heart. That is, all of us are capable of that. And so... 
Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Save people get caught up in contention all the time. You know why? Because save people have pride. Sometimes we look, sometimes in churches, in our battles, we look just like they do in the political world. Sometimes we... Why... why why are there so many similarities in how these things manifest themselves? Because we're all made out of the same flesh. We're, even, we're made out of the same flesh as the Republicans and the Democrats. Same flesh. And we often commit some of the same sins. And, th- and again, thank God these things are under the blood and we're on our way to heaven. But listen, we're not in heaven yet. We don't have the glorified body yet. And we're living on this earth and we've got to deal with the consequences of our sin on this earth. So it's important that we get a hold of these things. Final passage I want to go to. Look what it says in James 3. James 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Why does he even need to talk about this to a church? I thought only reprobates and unsafe people do this kind of sin. No, say people do this kind of stuff too. I mean, boy, churches can become some of the most hostile places in the world. And, and, and let me just say this too. When, so when we have this attitude and we start putting the unsaved label, the reprobate label on people, what we, instead of seeing them as a brother that has sinned, you know, you know what we're doing? We're saying, I don't want to fix this. I don't want to help this. I don't want to mend this relationship. That's what we end up doing. And we're supposed to be restoring people. We're supposed to be forbearing one another. We're supposed to be forgiving one another. But it is. It's just easier to just cast people out with one of these labels. But that's not what we've been called to do. And if we would all recognize when we see somebody committing sin or some kind of wickedness, if we would un- have that understanding, I could do this type of thing myself, we will start looking at them as a brother that is to be restored rather than some enemy infiltrator that is to be cast out and never seen again. And I think it's important we have that right attitude. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. As Christians, we've got to just we've got to stay out of this mentality of just comforting ourselves by attaching a label to everyone who sins, call them a narcissist, unsaved, reprobate. We need to understand sinful people sin. That's all there is to it. When people sin, we don't need to write them off as a psychopath, reprobate, Jeffrey Dahmer type. We don't need to do that. We need to make sure we never respond to sin with more sin. We need to try to just help people not sin. And this is how we make peace. This is how we cause less sin in the world. That's what we can do. We've got to make sure, and again, boy, when people sin against you, you want to sin back. That is the natural response of our flesh. But the way we make peace is making sure, one, we don't cause the sin, but also, or that we don't participate in the sin, but also we do not cause the sin. We don't provoke people to sin and that we work to help stop people from sinning. And so, um, you know, 
when you start having a problem with somebody, especially somebody too that you're just kind of stuck with. Nobody's done this here. But you know, if you're having a problem with your spouse, don't come convince me they're a reprobate. I think they probably have a sin problem. We need to work on the sin problem. But again, we want to put that label so we can just cast it off and forget about it. No, that's, that's not the response because the next person that you marry, they're going to be sinful too. And you're probably going to provoke them to sin. And they're probably going to respond in the same way because they're going to be made out of the same flesh. Either way, it's a sin problem. Next time somebody brings up one of these personality disorders, you say, you know, it's actually it's a sin problem. You know, it's just, it's just a, it's a sin problem. I don't care what you've been diagnosed with or not diagnosed with. We are all capable of pride and all the junk that comes with it. And there's a lot of junk that comes with pride. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for these warnings in your word. I pray you'll help us to, uh, Lord, if we got anything out of this message, Lord, that we will learn to take heed lest we fall. Help us to realize uh, we are all one big sin away from just completely uh, ruining our, our reputation, our testimony, and uh, just creating a bunch of trouble for our own lives. I pray you'll help us to not respond to sin with more sin. Help us to uh, be peacemakers and to uh, help restore people. In your name we pray. Amen.